glad you could join us for episode 110 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our analysis of James Cameron's cyberpunk thriller, Dark Angel, starring Jessica Alba, Michael Weatherly, and Ashley Scott, who, Wayne, I think we need to stop referring to her as Ashley Scott, even though they haven't mentioned her character's name yet, Aisha Barlow. It's a big mystery, like they did that with... uh Renfro and now yeah I stopped in my notes I stopped writing out Ashley Scott because it just became tiresome yeah uh and we still don't know whether it's Asia or Asha I was about to say is it Asia or Asha but I guess we'll find out but uh we'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can leave a voicemail via the speak pipe tab also record your own audio clips and the mp3 as an attachment or just send us a tweet at Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Hopefully, you'll consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. But before we go any farther, I need to know something. Okay. Okay. What do you need to know? Okay. Well, everybody knows we're teachers. We got our big end of the year freshman assembly. Yep. I'm, I'm looking at the chart. Who's got front row seats be- and who's got back row seats? <laughs> well, I know who has the front row seats because that's me. Okay, so I got Kleenexes for my class because we're up in the nosebleeds. But uh, hey, it's, so it's, I, uh, you got you got to be people who knows people, Dave. What I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I guess so. But anyway, well, listen, we did get some listener feedback this week, and then we heard from Kimmy, who says that happy you guys finally decided to go for Dark Angel season two. Honestly, I was a bit nervous, so I tried to spread the word because I can't get enough Dark Angel, and your podcast deserves more listeners and feedback. By the way, while waiting for Dark Angel podcast, I decided to check out your Lost Girl series. I binge watched the five seasons in a few days and a couple more binge listening to the podcast. Fabulous. Bo is a strong lead female character with a dark side like I love. So thanks. Can't wait to see how it ends. And, you know, it's funny. I don't I don't know if it was you I was talking to the last couple of days about this, but you hear people complain that there aren't strong female characters out there and i'm wondering what tv you're watching yeah i think you have they're not watching genre shows though it's a thing no they can't be right because there's loads of them in genre shows um but just i don't know yeah right now i i can't think and that's well the good wife you know but other than that well veep is another one but that's you know cable well, even Castle, like we've mentioned yeah. many times. Yeah, but so uh, I mean, there's a couple out there, that, but uh, certainly, if you look at genre, you're going to see a lot more strong female characters. I think in, in genre. Okay, I've never really pains- talked about why that is, you know, but uh, maybe that's another discussion. Well, yeah, I, I mean, certainly, um, Joss Whedon is known for his strong female characters in, in all of his series. So, but uh, yeah, it may be a good topic for another show down the road, but. It it pains me to read this next line from Kimmy's email. Okay. About the opening voiceover, Wayne is right. It was those words that you had to read, but you got through it, Dave. I confirm that it's Nana Visitor's voice and the same song. I think Logan openly speaks about Manticore because, like you said, he lost Max. She's not here anymore. There's no use keeping it a secret. He's probably seeking revenge or justice and feels like he has nothing to lose. Now, speaking about eyes only in his Flash Freedom videos, interesting fact. In the audio commentary from 101, Charles Egley tells us that Logan's character is based on a reporter in Mexico that James Cameron knew. This guy had to live underground, file his dispatches from underground because the government was looking to kill him, as well as drug wars. 
the police, and the army. In his apartment in Mexico, there were 27 photographs of his colleagues in the press that were murdered. So basically, eyes only is a dystopic version of that, Egley says. Well, that's pretty cool. That, yeah, that's that's really cool. I had no idea about that. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, I never get around to watching the extra stuff on my DVDs. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not even sure I've ever watched. Well, no, that's not true. There are some, but it, for the number of DVDs I own. When they first came out, you know, it was such a novelty that I would always watch all the extras. I'd, I'd watch a movie again with the director commentary, but yeah, I don't have time for that anymore though. Back to what Kimmy said with the reporter. See, it's, it's, it's kind of weird because you, you see characters like this in like a sci-fi show or something. And you don't really think that, that there's actual people out there who do that, that, you know, we think that I, you know, I almost see Logan, almost as an unrealistic character. There's not people like that in real life. And then you find out, well, there are people like that in real life. And that's just amazing, you know, that that someone could be that brave and, and, and risk so much of their their life like that for to fight for injustice because I know I'm not that brave, you know. Um, so that's just kind of cool. Now, she goes on to say that you saw Aisha's part of the S1W, which is a radical organization that carries out actions against the government. But did you know that the S1W, Security of the First World, is a reference to the black militant movement of the same name associated with the hip-hop group Public Enemy that made the Dark Angel opening? I didn't. I'm still kind of, I mean, I'm not as big in the Public Enemy as I was, but you know, like when I was in high school, I was crazy in the Public Enemy. Um, I, I did actually YouTube so, them over the weekend, believe it or not. Oh, yeah? Yeah, what, well, you know, I mean, heavy baseline, you know, is, you know, down my area. So, uh, yeah, that was pretty cool. Right. Yeah, I saw, um, I, I'll never forget the first time I saw Public Enemy. I was actually at a Beastie Boys concert, and Public Enemy actually opened up for the Beastie Boys. But they came out, and they had, like, two guys in the corner of the, each corner of the stage just stand there with, like, with like sunglasses on black berets kind of look like black panthers holding uzis with smoke coming out of it like the whole time they just stood there and then flavor Flav comes out and you're like what because i never even heard of them and see this guy coming with the big clock and then they blew me away man it was, it was incredible all right uh she says back to the episode you seem surprised that asia didn't know about logan being eyes only but that's what logan always does he directly works with the people who can help him but they don't know who he is for example, Matt Sung thinks Logan is an intermediate and asks him if he had ever met Eyes Only. Yes, I also noticed Grace Park, and if you're a fan of Battlestar Galactic, and I'm sure you are, here's a fun page that lists all the Battlestar Galactica cast that's appeared in Dark Angel. There's like 80 names, and it's also fun to do with the Supernatural cast. So, uh, yeah, you know, I think we're, we're getting that idea about, you know, uh, so many of them are Canadian actors anyway. Maybe the guy playing White, I think. It was on uh, Battlestar Galactica. Only actually, like uh, two episodes. Yeah, he could have been. I'm not sure. Yeah, because I, uh, I was IMDBing a little bit. Because that guy, like I saw White, and he was driving me. Cra- I'm like, I know I've seen that guy. And then I, I looked, and I hadn't seen that guy. But I, I think I figured out, you know who he looks like, is uh, the guy who plays Jason on Continuum. And, oh, and sure. Adam in Sanctuary. I think yeah. that's the guy he kept reminding me of. Okay. Yeah, I can see that. 
Uh, well, thanks for the insight, Kimmy, as always. And, and speaking of insight, a great post in the Facebook group by Gabby. And I'm not going to read it, but you should definitely take a minute to check it out. Again, between Gabby and Kimmy, they, they've got so much insight into Dark Angel that, that you and I just don't have. So it's, it's really, they open up a lot of doors that I'm not sure I'd have thought of. Yeah, I haven't checked out that post yet, but I, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll it, it was out. actually about maybe half hour before we came on the air. Oh. So, all right. Well, anyway, let's get to Dark Angel season two, episode two, titled Bagum, written by Marjorie David, who was co-executive producer of Dark Angel and also was a supervising producer on Millennium. Directed by Vern Gillum, who directed three episodes of Sliders, which was. Uh, you know, I don't want to say it was an overlooked show, but uh, you know, certainly worth going back to take a peek at if you didn't see it at the time. Was that the one where like people would go around eating little hamburgers the whole time? Uh, it is not. Oh, okay, uh, that was a great show. <laughs> four episodes of Angel, and actually, he directed two episodes of Firefly, two that we haven't gotten to yet. And don't ask me which two; it's just that I know we haven't gotten really? to them. Yeah, That's so we'll. Yeah, we'll bring that up at the time. And this one aired October 5th, 2001. Now, obviously, we, we, we saw these five Manticore kids that were kind of the focal point of this episode. And there were three of them I just want to bring up. Uh, Jesse Moss, who played Bullet, he appeared in a recent iZombie episode. What? I'm not sure which character he what played. What the what? And, and, and I'm going to have to go back because he also appeared in a Continuum episode. And last week, we talked about Jewel State filming a movie called Personal Effects, and he's in that as well. Ah. But it gets better. Okay. Uh, Sarah Jane Morris, right. who I, I know that you probably don't, who played Ralph, appeared in a recurring role in NCIS as Agent E.J. E. Barrett, 2011-2012, which, and even though she was only in about maybe four, five, six episodes, it was really a critical part of that season. And, and Did you recognize really, her when you saw? Oh, her? absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, it's like she, she looks so familiar. And then as soon as I saw her name in the uh, IMDb, I'm like, I knew who that was. She also, surprise, has appeared on a Castle episode. But then, lastly, the girl that played Fix It, Nikki Klein. Okay. Battlestar Galactica, she was crewman Callie Henderson Tyrrell, uh, who she was what, the main mechanic. Remember right, she? Right, okay. And ironically, she worked on fighters in Battlestar Galactica and then, of course, could fix anything here. She, I mean, when I saw her, oh, no, no, no. I know, again, I know you, her, her even more so than Sarah Jane Morris. So I thought that was pretty cool. Well, yeah, like we see so many crossovers just in the genre community. And like, honestly, it is because a lot of these actors are Canadian and a lot of these shows film in Canada. Um, but yeah, you see these crossovers so much. It's it's crazy. All right. Well, opening scene, I love, right? You hear the roar of the motorcycle. And, and at first you wonder, I mean, you figure it's Max, but you wonder where she is and what she's doing. And then you realize she's in original Cindy's bedroom. Cindy wakes up and, you know, she, she's still wearing the camo pants and, you know, really nice reunion. And they throw in the little bit about, you know, uh, I guess Manticore's not into the girly, girly stuff and shaving her legs. But it's that intuitive aspect of Cindy that puts two and two together. Logan's eyes only. Yeah. And, Ma and Max tries to deny it for about two seconds. Yeah. Then. 
when Max tells her, but I, I can't touch him. He's got this virus. You know, Cindy, the great little piece of uh, philosophy here that somehow, some way, it's all going to come correct. And I'm like, she sounds kind of like herbal there, you know? I wonder if she's been hanging out with him while Max has been gone. Well, you know, the opening of this episode had me a little concerned because they really open with a couple of tropes, and this is one of them. I mean, Cindy brings up the virus that's keeping Max and Logan apart, and, you know, Max seems discouraged. And then Cindy goes into that little that little thing about, you know, you're fated to be together. And then she says, no one will be able to hurt them. And I'm thinking like, Oh really? I mean, that's like the kiss of right. death. Don't say that, you know, so that we, we know that somebody will. And then yeah, like, did you see, uh, have you seen the most recent episode of game of Thrones? I have not. Well, remember I quit and then everybody I, keeps telling me, Oh no, this way though. You, you really did, did. did. That is ridiculous, right? Well, I know. That's what I've been told about this last episode, that it, that a lot of the critics and fans are calling it perhaps the best episode in the entire series. It was it was pretty awesome. But, you know, a character, like, says goodbye to her kids, and you're just like, well, that's it for her, you know? Like, like she sends her kids ahead, and, you know, you're just like, you know. Speaking of kids, we then see the five Manticore kids moving through the woods following a rendezvous signal, and, you know, they're led by an older boy, but it's the girl who, you know, seems to be probably the next oldest questions why they were being shot at by their own people. And, you know, he kind of seems to have drunk the Kool-Aid and, and you know, they, they cross the bridge that they're supposed to go to for the rendezvous, see a group of at first I thought they were Manticore soldiers, but they're just, you know, soldiers. They seem happy. And then all of a sudden, you know, they, they turn their machine guns on them and uh, yeah, at that point, we're wondering, okay, on whose orders are you acting? It's certainly not uh, Lydecker. And also, these kids who were their X6s, right? Yeah. Well, they're not too. Most of them. They're not, they're not very clever. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, that's the one thing that we get out of this episode. I mean, we knew that the X5s were officer leader material, right? And that these X6s seem to be the grunts, the soldiers, the, you know, the enlisted men and right. women. Definitely not the heavy thinkers. Right. And then, of course, we've got the X7s that I think we thought, you and I, were the next generation. But X7s seem to be bred for a specific purpose. Now, are we they, is it just the one kid, the X7s? Well, see, I don't know. That's what I see, don't I know. Thought I, there were, because, well, remember, because I thought at, at the end of the first season... Right, that there she was, was some fight by one that was like her clone. Oh, but her clone died. Right, but I think the idea was that they were bred. Uh, uh, the X sevens we saw at the end of the first season were certainly bred with fighting skills. So they're like these, hunter, though, almost it's right. Like a these pack. guys that are just seem to be like guards, you know, perimeter guards. Yeah, but but regardless. We wonder, you know, who's ordering them to be killed? Who's ordering the Manticore program to be completely wiped out? So uh, now the next bad guy. Well, exactly. We see this couple driving down the street and the girl asks him, why can't we stay in L.A.? Yeah, it's full of freaks and weirdos. And then, of course, psychos. The, the, the next trope. Right. Uh, one of the anomalies that looks like the creature from the Black Lagoon yeah. runs in front of their car. That would be the freak. Yeah, as if that's not bad enough, you know, a bunch of the identical armed X-7s follow in pursuit. And that would be the psychos. Exactly. And then uh, he whips the car around to go back to L.A. So, you know, I was a little 
concerned at this point that are we just going to have one trope after another? And, and, and that was it because the episode really, I, I thought, went in a strong direction. But right. though, like you totally saw where this one was headed. You know, the minute she was like, the minute he said, "Freaks, weirdos, and psychos," you knew, oh, he's he's going to see some freaks and weirdos and psychos right now. Um, but it was still funny. Yeah, I still liked it. Yeah, sometimes right. there's comfort in in the cliches. Well, no, I, I agree. Um, but we've got our next question raised at this point. The X7s, are they ordered to round up the anomalies? And if so, by whom? Right? I mean, they disable the creature. And then, obviously, they're responsible for getting it back to uh, to white at that makeshift base. Well, it, it seems it, like their job is to round up everyone. The anomalies and the um, X-whatevers that got out. Right. Well, true. Because okay. right, because they, the the one guy leads uh, the other X sevens right to where the where Max is hold up with the X sixes. I, I I know you'll find it odd, but I, I'm starting to find comfort in Jam Pony, <laughs> and you know, at, at Max returns. This they, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Dude. It, it it may. You know, I'm I'm gonna accept that and. They think she faked her own death, and at first, normal doesn't want to give her job back. And, and and look, we've been down this road before, where she has one excuse after another for why she's late, and all of this tells him she had a heart transplant, and he was pretty knowledgeable. He whips out whatever drug that you would need. I forget what it is. Lifts up her shirt, shows him the scar, and of course, we get uh, sketchy there trying to get a peek, and, and Cindy trying to cover his eyes, and. Well, he said something like, uh, that's a big uh, scar. Yeah, and then she says, well, enjoy the view because the scar's fading fast, which I, obviously we owe to her right. her X5 DNA and healing. Yeah, and I like how she had that Mark Twain quote, uh, quote there, that rumors of my death have been greatly exaggerated. Yeah, and that's not the first time she's pulled out a, a famous quote for sure. And, and so you wonder, I mean, we don't get the idea, and, and just because we haven't seen it, on the air doesn't mean it hasn't taken place, but, but we don't get the idea that they've had traditional schooling. I mean, we know they've been schooled in, you know, field tactics, field medicine, you know, the military items, but, but not necessarily literature. So has she been doing that on her own in the last nine years? Maybe, maybe, so maybe she saw well, the TV show or maybe she went caught uh, Hal Holbrook doing his Mark Twain show. Yeah, could be. Well, speaking of TV, you know, while she's at Jampony, uh, she calls Logan, who's watching a news report of the Manticore fire, and, and you know, they switch it on at Jampony. And it says that uh, a VA hospital was burned down, and they're blaming S1W. Government's trying to make the group into terrorists, and, and you know, they claim a lot of people died, and they're being framed for murder. Max doesn't seem concerned. You know, nothing I can do about it. And, and we see... Uh, Asha Barlow in the background at, at uh, Logan's place. So, you know, there's something going on there, uh, not between the two of them, but re- regarding this situation. And he asks if she'll come over. And I love this. Is my favorite line, given the givens, I'm not sure it's a good idea, but tells Max that he's got some information that might be important. And, you know, she says, well, I'll swing by later. And then Sketchy's line about the genetically superior walk among us, which is obviously uh, some wonderful dramatic irony because he's still one of the only ones left in the dark here right but you know what i like here is how he's 
listening to the news program, he's like, oh, that's total BS. Eyes only said that that place was called Manicore and everything. Um, so he, he's like the voice of the common man. Like, obviously, Logan's uh, broadcasts are having an effect. Yeah, true. That's true. And, and, you know, we wonder, I mean, we see our core group of characters and how they react to eyes only, but we haven't really seen how the rest of the society, the rest of the city is reacting. Um, yeah, well, we can only assume that, like, even though Sketch is kind of a goofball, but that he seems to, you know, have, speak for, you know, your average person, right? Um, right, Who who's willing to listen and agree, but maybe not actually act on what Eyes Only is asking you to do. Right, but still, they believe Eyes Only over, you know, the news. No question. Uh, now, Asia Barlow wants Logan to talk to Eyes Only so that he can get the truth out about the fire because she knows that her group is being linked and, and because of the job she and Logan pulled at that actual VA, she's telling him, you know, you owe me one. It's it's because of me doing that for you that, that our group's in this mess to begin with. So, you know, we're wondering, and we, and we don't see a lot of her. It's, it's almost like she's kind of in the background of this episode. Yeah, definitely. Um, but, you know, they're just keeping her in enough so that, you know, probably she's going to have a, a bigger role as it as it moves on and everything but th- yeah this is where uh, as per kimmy's uh email that we learn well, actually they we probably this probably said it before but for sure now uh we know that she doesn't know that logan is his eyes only and that still is surprising and i thought about that i thought because the, in that that the first episode they really went to some lengths there to show that they that they were close, right? I even was suggesting that it looked like there was even some romantic interest on Asha's part. So, you know, you would only assume that by working that closely together that that she knew. And I guess it's so because Max figured out so quickly as well that he was eyes only. That you know, we just assume that other characters are halfway with it would be able to, to cotton in it, you know cotton on yeah that that's true and, and the nice thing is we've got so many episodes in this season that they should have time to let that develop i don't know about you wayne but when we see that image of the no-tell motel and the mad max style vehicle i wasn't ready for alec to be inside yeah uh, yeah definitely not i didn't know who we were gonna find but uh alec probably wasn't the guy no, and then as soon as we see the blonde, you know, oh, this is so cool, and she's running her finger across a neck barcode. Well, I think then we kind of, and, and as the camera kind of got a little closer, we figured out that's in fact uh, who it was. And Gabby's post that I mentioned earlier in the podcast kind of focuses in not not on this scene in particular, but on shippers at the time who were kind of getting away from Max Logan and shipping Max and Alec. And then she even mentions a little bit in her, her post on the group about fan fiction and, and the, the path that a lot of them took. So I won't say any more about that. It's definitely worth reading. Just go to the Facebook group and you'll find it there. Well, Um, I don't want to go there because that sounds like there's some spoilers in there. Well, there really aren't because it, it, it's it, it really it, it's not spoilerish. I, I will tell you that it's just interesting. I'll, I'll just say mm. that because she's really talking about the the online presence, I guess, at the time and what the fans were saying and what they wanted, as opposed to what they actually will get. She doesn't really go into that at all, right? But the right. implication there, is- no, no, just got it. Trust me. Okay, I, I, I would tell you if it was spoilery. I really would. All right. All right. 
Trust me. All right. But, but <laughs> anyway. I was I was one, not them saying I wanted that to happen, but I, you know, one of my theories is is, is that this is a, a relationship that could totally happen. Anyway. He gives the girl some money, tells her to go get some food, and of course she goes into the little mini mart there. And what does she grab? But you know, like pork rinds, Cheetos. I mean, every bag of junk food imaginable. But while she's in there, we see three teenage Manticore soldiers looking on, and the one girl is hungry. I think that was Ralph that that says that we don't. Yeah, that's who it is yet. Right. Uh, They realize they have no money and she just goes in anyway and they start shoplifting while the stoner clerk sits oblivious. Yeah, like super Uh, oblivious. Like they're not even trying to hide it. They're just shoving like huge bags of chips in their jackets and stuff. Like really? Yeah. And uh, Alex girl notices their barcodes and hey, my friend has one of those too. And the next thing you know, the clerk's got his shotgun out. Soldier, of course, takes it away in about a second and a half. Shot goes off alerting Alec who sees them running from the store and it's like, ah, oh, great. Yeah. And we're wondering at that point, what does that mean? I mean, what's his plan? Is he simply going to disappear into the woodwork like the original 12 did or, you know, or what? Yeah. We don't know. He, you know, it's, I mean, he totally looks like someone who's like laying low, right? Like he's definitely doesn't seem like he's going back to Manticore, but uh, yeah, but we don't know. What's up with Alex? Yeah. But whatever it is, like it seems like the presence of more of these, you know, exes around is not something he finds desirable. No, because I think you know that that he sees that they're just going to get in his way. And uh, look, he's a smart guy. He's you know, and, and we see the age difference in in these different exes, and obviously these younger ones are, are are you know much less experienced much more naive despite their training and and a lot of that comes out but yeah but it, it's becomes painfully obvious that most of their training is based on following orders true you know and without orders they're just completely lost you know they're looking up they're literally looking to the stars for direction and you know this is the point where we kind of cut to that military mobile base run by this guy that we're introduced to as white and you know he's the guy that's troops executed the earlier x6s and he gets a phone call and as we suspected you know the feds and again we're not sure what branch of the government wants to uh, handle this themselves but they want to keep the local law enforcement officers out of it and uh, the idea is apparently they're just going to keep executing them as they come out of the woodwork that that apparently 38 showed up at the rendezvous point they plan to keep the beacon going until they stop coming yeah and so it's just like you know luring them in like it's like kind of like that bug light right yeah and they just uh the uh, all these creatures are attracted and they they think they're following their orders so they follow they go to where it's told and then bam yeah and, and i mean you know you, you just mentioned following orders i mean the, the x7s are so intriguing at least you know the, the ones that all look the same and they've mentioned several times in this episode and and i believe even in the first episode the idea of the hive mind and they communicate with these ultrasonic yeah their eyes like go all they're all creepy and big and they're going back and forth really weird and everything right and it seems as if their function is to guard the perimeter but then of course we 
we see that they certainly function in tracking down and bringing back because they, you know, they bring back the creature. You know, at this point, I'm wondering why would anybody want to kill all these manticore soldiers? I mean, the the millions, perhaps billions of dollars invested in this program to just totally wipe it out? I mean, is it just that they figured the end doesn't justify the means, that that the fact that if this program comes to light, you know, we're going to look bad? I mean, yeah, I, I, I think it's basically, you know, they're burning a black ops, you know, a black operation, you know, and so they're, they're completely, they're, they're just getting rid of it entirely. You know, it's, it's gotten out of control. It's gone south and this is the cleanup. So I think okay. that's what White is. His job is not to figure any of this out. Um, it's just to, to get it all cleaned up and get it taken care of so this doesn't get out in the public. Okay. And I guess we can then uh, assume since he has, well, of course, at this point, he didn't know he had. You know, when the one guy brings in uh, the briefcase that contains the database with all the DNA information you know, well, now we know that that the project could be reopened at any point. But when he started this culling, well, he didn't know that. Of course, he's not the one calling the shots anyway. True. But we do learn that, you know, maybe all of the anomalies aren't really anomalies in, in, in that we kind of figure that this creature, in fact, it's one of the soldiers, I think, that says it was designed to fight in the desert. Mm-hmm. And it's clearly not a genetic accident. Right. Well, no, definitely not. Um, but, but I mean, I think for a while we assumed a lot of those anomalies oh, right, were right. genetic accidents. Right, right. So and and we wonder, don't know or if, you know, we're not sure, are the anomalies something different from this creature that we saw, right? Exactly. Or are they just designed to do different jobs, to perform different functions in different environments? I mean. Right. Um. But uh, so then we wonder how many of them are out there. Uh, all of a sudden, he goes through for White's throat unsuccessfully, and he screams to get it out. Them too, pointing at the X sevens, and you know apparently there's no love lost for Manticore, and, and you know we're wondering about this guy's end game. And now suddenly, Lydecker is a sympathetic character. Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, well, but but that's not something that just happened suddenly right i mean that oh no no that, that's True. been building over uh you know the last couple episodes that we really start to appreciate him and we start to see his true motivations right or we, we think we're seeing his true i guess i should say um where we we begin to understand that he would rather burn manticore to the ground than see these kids get hurt anymore well, yeah, and juxtaposed with Lydecker, I mean, this guy's a loose cannon. I mean, he doesn't seem to want to be doing this job as opposed to Deck, who who is deeply invested in the Manicore project and, and is always calm, cool, collected, you know, and, and directed. So yeah, obviously these two are going to be going out at each other, at least for the foreseeable future, I would think. Yeah, no question about it. They, they definitely set him up to be antagonists and, you know, I think it's going to work out really well like that. Yeah. Now, Alec is pretty pissed because he finds a trail of junk food. Yeah. Le- well, again, the X-6s the- are, are terrible, right? Like, yeah, well, but you- X- they don't realize they're, they're trying to escape, right? They think they're going home, but the, yeah, know, they I- leave the trail behind them like that. 
Well, I guess, you know, he doesn't seem mad, but he, he kind of shakes his head. And then, but then when he finds him in the barn, daddy's home, they all jump to attention. And then he notices that one X7 off to the side and he says, what's that doing here? And, you know, one of the things that comes out of this episode is the prejudice which exists within the X's themselves, you know? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, we see Alec and he's just is terrible with the X7. Yeah. Throwing popcorn at him later and just referring to him as, or well, yeah, him because it was just the one at the time uh, as certainly less than human. And, you know, ironically, I guess you could argue that they're all either. Well, I guess we could argue that they're all more than human. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, it seems also that Alec and no one there really has a very good understanding of what the X sevens are all about or why would they, you know, like the whole time he's there, I'm like, why are they letting this guy stay there? And he's sitting right by the window and we've seen the, the group kind of, I guess we, we see that them communicating with each other as a group that Alec wouldn't see that necessarily. Because well, I think if they knew what the X7s were capable of, that they, there's no way that they would just let that that kid stay there. Well, well, right. And again, I guess we don't know, it, was it part of their training, you know, that, that they know the X7s perform a particular function when they're in battle and that, you know, this kid is just another Manticore soldier like us. He certainly lets them know that it's a trap, that Manticore wants them all dead. But again, he seems very calm and collected about it and it doesn't make sense to the x6s or the viewer that the x7 doesn't want to follow along so so again that that's a lot of this episode figuring out where the x7s fit in or or don't fit in now max shows up at logan's and brings up the virus and tells her that a massive military action is going down in the woods around Manticore, which is, of course, White and his group. And then he points out about the difference between now and the 09 escape and that the 12, you know, Max being one, they wanted out. That right. These guys don't know that Manticore wants them dead, and there's a huge difference there. And then he shows her the footage of one of his UFO guys, uh, of the signal, which she immediately recognizes and decodes. And, and now, you know, he, he, like she knows exactly what's going on here. Right. And he kind of like reaches for her and she's like, careful, you know, like yeah. that, like really like sharply that every married guy in the world, like recognizes that tone right there. Um, so, you know, I think there is hope for this relationship, you know? Yeah. Well, well, she points out, you know, her plan is to save as many as she can. Be, and she brings up the whole idea of family. And she does feel a certain level of responsibility for forcing Manticore's hand, which I guess there is some truth in that. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not really her fault. And then she starts, you know, points out that some are different. And again, we've got this whole notion of diversity within the Manticore community, which, you know, again, I, I think is obviously making a, a larger statement uh, just using Manticore. One of my favorite, you know, you know I'm not huge on action scenes, and I, uh, it was perfect in this episode. Max is on her bike heading towards the rendezvous point. The five have reached that same bridge. We see the same soldiers aiming, ready to kill them. Max comes in and takes them out with her sliding bike. Run, 
she yells at them. Yeah. And then and then the one kid gets shot in the leg and she just like grabs him, throws him on the back of the bike and uh you know, rides to safety. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, I I am not going to nitpick on that scene, but there's about a million things in there that just like you know, just kind of ridiculous, you know. For one like the kid gets shot, Max goes, picks him up, throws him on the back of his bike, takes off and no one hit, no one's able to hit him like they, it's just it was, it was just kind of silly somewhere it was it was cool it was fun it's like when she took him out of the motorcycle it's kind of cool but then all i'm thinking just like really you know i don't know yeah well well we get she gets back to the barn and you know we've got i, I guess a lighter scene you know alex eating hey weird kid he calls to the x7 um you know max tells him that she'd kick his ass if they had time you know the one girl says she's going to be sick at the sight of a little through and through you know in in that kid's leg well i bet she i bet that one flunked field med and uh which once again i'm like kind of like you know the x6 is like what what are they all about because it doesn't seem they're like super great at a lot of stuff you know well, yeah, you, and you and you wonder um, because this group they all seem to have this, you know, individual skills, but none of them really seem to be soldiering skills, right? right. I mean, fix it is able to fix things. She's a, you know mechanically inclined, um, you know, obviously bugler. I mean, uh, he's an X eight actually. Yeah. So uh, what's the deal with X eight? Is he simply is that the next generation or? Do X8s perform some other, you know, I'm not going to say all X8s are buglers, but I mean, are X8s, do they perform some other ancillary function? Yeah. Who knows? So, yeah. Who knows? I'm sure, I'm sure we'll know eventually, right. but right now. Right. right now, White wants to know how a girl on a motorcycle got the drop on you and all your men. Uh, and that's when the other guy brings in the briefcase that belonged to Renfro, uh, retrieved from the fire, got the discs inside. And there's a file on Max, and the soldier says, yeah, that's the girl on the bike. Not bad looking for a freak. White just reinforces our initial dislike of him and, and tells them, of course, to find her for sure. Yeah, which is why he's able to f- carry out these orders so effectively because he looks, he doesn't see the exes as humans, right? And- Right, and neither does Alec. I mean, with the X sevens, and I guess I I can't get away from that. It's like because you know he's throwing popcorn at the X sevens. Uh, you know, Max takes command and tells him they've got a new mission. What's his disdain for the X sevens? I, I I just I just don't understand that. So yeah, I don't, you know he you know, he he was the kind of inside out guy at and back at Manticore, right? He was kind of the wheeler and the dealer. So maybe he had like beef with the x7 you know maybe that you know they as guards or whatever that he had either a run in run in or run-ins with him or yeah anyway just like he he just seems to kind of know things about the others that that the other kids don't like he kind of knows what the x7s are about He, he seems to know like what the x6s are all about and everything um and 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 I think part most of that comes from his role back at Manticore as being the guy who kind of, you know, got around and was making contacts everywhere. 
Right. Now, Max begins their uh, deprogramming, I guess, and, and tells them step one is to forget their obedience to Manticore and assigns them names. Now, I, I guess I'm wondering, you know, why not real names? Uh, you know, okay, zero, because I have zero tolerance for, I forget what the girl did. Uh, fix it, of course. Ralph, the girl that was going to throw up. Bullet, the kid that got shot. And Bugler, because he's a bugler. Uh, and then Alex says, what about him? Referring to the seven and tells Alec that, you know, he can pick his name. But, right. you know, you, you wonder, uh, is there some Well, she said something about, like, how, because you're so close or because you're such good buddies or something like that, you know. Like. Right. But, but you wonder, is there some significance we're going to learn about the name Max and how that was chosen and or how she chose it? You know, did somebody give it to her? I mean, right. why didn't she? Well, that's the thing. She doesn't let the kids choose, right? I mean, she assigns names, kind of like uh, Animal House. You remember that scene in Animal House where, like, they they give everyone the nicknames. Yeah, I don't. It was just the one scene where um, John Belushi is going to each kid or each um, pledge and say, "Your new Delta Telkai name is Pinto." Yeah. Okay. And then flounder, right, well, right? The leading up to that joke. Yeah. Now, you know, I mentioned it didn't seem like White really wants to be doing this job. And then when Lydecker shows up at the base, identifies himself and asks to be taken to White. And the guy tells him, you got to hold on. And he just barges on through and nobody stops him. So, you know, at this point, we're wondering, because I think previous to this, previous to, I guess, the explosion, and the fire, Manticore held a certain cachet within, I guess, the military industrial complex but I'm not sure that still exists. Even right. though Lydecker maybe thinks it does. Sure. Well, but he knows there's, th well, I mean, Lydecker knows the, that that stuff about Max is there, right? Yeah. It's hard to remember. Well, I'm not sure. Well, no, no, no. There. Well, see, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah. he sees the briefcase. Maybe he recognizes it uh, as Renfro's. He opens it up and grabs the discs. I'm not sure he knew it was going to be there. I, I see. I, I just think that it was fortunate for him. Yeah, but I mean, he was he was he went there looking for something. Like he didn't just go there just to hang out. Like he's like, there's got to be stuff there with that you know top secret stuff that I want. Okay, or is he going there to try to put an end to the killing? Or like you said, it could be that. Do they have Max? He doesn't know. But you wonder also, do White and Lydecker have some kind of history? I mean, at this point, we don't know, but it, it certainly seems that they don't like each other. But Lydecker then calls Logan and asks him to help him contact Max, but then he won't tell Logan why. I was a little surprised Logan then told him where she, she was. Well, I think, you know, Lydecker has built up some goodwill from logan and, and you know based on the last couple episodes and uh you know helping both uh rescue or try rescue uh them before and then also you know going back and taking down manticore yeah and, that, and i think uh, it, he's, he's earned logan's trust i think yeah and i think at this point with the virus still in play maybe logan thinks the way i think that maybe that's what the secret is, you know, that maybe he has the cure. You know, she's become kind of the mother. We see her watching over the sleeping kids while the X7 watches out the window, and then we hear that that high-frequency chirp, and then 
we see the two identical sevens in the woods and, and we realize, okay, this is not good for sure. And then that little evil smile on his face and, you know, you're thinking about the bad seed for sure. Yeah, but, you know, like the whole t- – well, again, because we had information about the X7s that the other characters were not privy to, but, you know, because we saw them chasing the, uh, the you know, the desert creature before. So the whole time he's there, I'm just, like, obviously distrustful of him and know that, you know, so I wasn't surprised when he ends up kind of leading uh, death and destruction to them. Yeah, true. Well, that's true. Well, Max continues her deprogramming, telling Bugler there's going to be no more training, no more orders, which prompts Alex to say, well, when the going gets cute, the tough get going. And, you know, he's ready to get out of there. But, you know, it, it, again, his character is really interested, interesting in this episode because he he wants on one level to just get away divorce himself as as completely as he can from manticore but on the other hand as max keeps saying that we're family and that you don't leave family you don't leave a fellow soldier out there and i think that just keeps nagging at him and you know even though he says this it's a little reluctant to leave even though he does he's han solo well that's a good analogy yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah like he he just he doesn't want to be involved like i got my own stuff to take care of that i'm pretty busy with I can't yeah. get involved with this other nonsense. Good luck with that. Have fun. Yeah, well, she tries to guilt him into it, and he says, look, this is your mess, not I love mine. Princess and I thought, Leia. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, we find out the two X7s, what they're up to, and you know they report back to the base. I guess reports the <laughs> the right – I don't think they actually say anything, right, but they, you know. they download their sonic data, and apparently they can read those as visuals. And the next thing you know, they've got Max's visage up on the screen. White tells him to bring her in alive if possible. But why are they not killing the X7s? Still, I, I still, like, are, are they just going to use them until they don't need them and then kill them? I, I guess. Yeah, it, it seems like they're performing a pretty useful function right now. So Yeah, yeah, true. And, and again, not only do they not, question orders they don't question anything right they don't even speak right right um well the barn is under siege now max realizes it was the x7 that gave them up and they're a little puzzled about why the soldiers would use smoke if they wanted to kill them uh, since the assumption is that they want them all dead and max handles the soldiers the kids drive out in an old van that fix it got to run and max is fighting skills i mean have they eroded from disuse yeah. because she got knocked out fairly easily yeah, i was i was kind of disappointed and uh regains consciousness to find herself in a cage initially startled at the creature next to her but but you know just uh, just like with joshua you know she quickly warms to him and just sees him as another manticore soldier yeah and max is really good at recognizing even if something's not per se human, recognizing the humanity in all other creatures, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, except for cockroaches. Hey, okay, good point. Now, White walks in, so you must be the new bad guy in my life, and then he compliments her looks. Gee, I miss the old guys already. <laughs> yeah, um, and, and then he brings up the thing about her DNA, and that whole idea of junk DNA, and I'm certainly not a geneticist, though I 
play one on TV. Uh, <laughs> and he goes into that, uh, you know, all pairs are coded for specific purpose and, and you don't have any junk DNA. So I guess the implication is that, that we all do. Um, yeah, th- I felt bad about this, Dave, especially knowing that you are one who is known to be slapping the bass. Yes. But, uh, you know, they, they said the, t- the phrase uh, bass pairs. Uh-huh. And how these these base pairs that uh, they don't hold any that they're pointless and they don't hold any. But at first, I thought he was saying bass player. Like I thought he was saying like it's a bass player. <laughs> like they're not used. So I'm like, oh, that's hurtful, man. And yeah, then, but if you think about it, if you're in the music community, you know there are plenty of drummer jokes, right. plenty of lead guitar player jokes, not too many bass player jokes. Really? So yeah, no, no, no. We're the we're the solid part All of the right. group. Need, but yeah. uh, but my bottom. question my question is. I would think that all the X's lack junk DNA. I mean, if you're going to go to all that trouble to create enhanced soldiers, it only stands to reason you take full advantage of whatever capabilities you might be able to, uh, you know, genetically include in their DNA. uh, I I think that speaks to like, even at this advanced level, they still don't have it totally figured out. Right. Right. I think that's part of it with each uh, X group is, you know, like uh, it seems like some of them are trying to correct mistakes from previous groups of or generations of X's. Right, and that's why we, I guess we thought as the numbers would rise that these would be right, uh, but you know, improvements exactly, which but not necessarily right. Because right. that's what I thought before too. But now it seems like just each number, as you said, they have different function, different role. Now, one of I mean, when I say poignant, not poignant like it brought tears to my eyes, but, you know, the five kids are driving down the road and, you know, they regret leaving Max behind, you know, their, their basic soldier training, their co- you don't leave a comrade behind. But, but the one and, kid said she, I mean, the, 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 his justification was she ordered us to leave. But then one of them points out, but she also told us we don't have to take orders. And it's like, okay. Now you're making independent decisions. And, and that's what I love so much because just one by one, no, nope, we're going to turn around. Oh, I'm with you. I'm in. Yep. And next thing you know, he whips around and of course passes Alec going in the opposite direction. You're going the wrong way. Yeah, it's like planes, trains, and automobiles, right? Yeah. What? Yep. You're going the wrong way. Ah, yep. you're drunk. <laughs> yep. Now, you know, when we're back at the base, I, I heard them mention about the satellites being in range and all of that. And, and, it, and the first time around, I wasn't sure exactly, but, but obviously they're using that uh, in conjunction with the beacon to send out the rendezvous message. Kids arrive. Um, they're observing from a distance. Alex shows up. Let me guess. She got herself caught saving your butts. Yeah, pretty much. And he takes charge. Let's get this over with so I can get going here. And right. the you're first never going to get going. You know, the first thing that struck me because we've seen, you know, Max's approach to combat is she'll disable, but she's not going to kill. Right. Not so with these kids. No, I mean, I mean, I'm pretty sure the, the first one snapped that guy's neck and, uh, you know, they cut the power. Alec releases Max and is a little surprised when he wants she wants him to release the creature also and then you know lets him out and she tells him you know you run they want to disable the satellite which they do and the one soldier's ready to shoot uh, i guess we're not sure at this point whether he's going to shoot max or alec but the creature takes him out and then gets shot you know, in the interim 
Right. So you see, you know, uh, Max's, I guess, humanity in um, helping the creature before and not being disgusted by him and relating to him. Though she she didn't do it to reap rewards for the future, but that's how karma kind of works a little bit there, right? And that, but then it's it's sad because I actually thought that this guy was going to be a recurring character because he was kind of cool, right? He was kind of a cool creature, Um, but no, gets shot and killed. Yep. We approach the end of the episode. Max is giving them all passports, directions to Canada. And, you know, we assume she got these from Logan and we, you know, we see Logan. Always in, Canada. Like, yeah, it's exactly. always like. Well, but that great, makes sense. This, the, the escape to Canada. Like, I'll go to Canada. will never find me there. Well, you know, but it's like, I forget what episode in the first season when we were discussing because it was like they were going to send them to Mexico. And we're thinking like, you're in Seattle. What are you going to go to Mexico for? Right. True. But, but it would um, make more sense. At least it'd be like, you know, a little bit different. Right. And always trying to escape to Canada. It's kind of the obvious choice. Right. Now, they ask her if she'll if they'll ever see her again. Her advice to stay together and not lose contact right, with right. each other, uh, you know, it doesn't seem to make sense to me because people are still after them and and you know, it's it's you know, what choice did she and the 12 have at the time other than to do what they did? But this is seems to be different now. Yeah, she, I guess she's kind of coming around to Zach's point of view that we kind of need to stick together, right? Yeah. Um, but also separate, right? Like not stick together here in Seattle, but stick together away someplace else where you'll be safe. But, you know, kind of like that idea, which has been this kind of – this back and forth between like Logan or and Max on the one side and Zach on the other, who was the same kind of like, you know, we need to be together, but kind of isolate from everyone else. And then, um, you know, Max being, but we need to be together. And about also, we also need to make connections with other people in the actual world. Um, so it's, I just kind of, I guess kind of blooding the two, I guess a little bit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then it really surprised me. She tells them we got one last thing to do as soldiers. And then when I saw what it was, it didn't surprise me at all. Pay our respects to those who didn't make it. And pretty moving scene as Bugler plays taps. And we see that video montage, which I guess is what Max is seeing in her head about lost comrades, which includes Tinga and Zach, among others. Right. Uh, she hugs the girls, gives the guys, you know, the fist bump or whatever it is, rubs Bugler's head and we still suspect we're going to see him again though. Well, you know, I hope, but I don't know. We'll see. Why give them all names if you weren't going to see him again? Well, good point. Now the, the final scene, the kids and Alec have driven off leaving Logan and Max. You did a good thing, Max, for all of them and asks her if she's heading back into town and she says, yeah, the ride's going to clear my head. And then we get the voiceover. I look at Logan and I want to take my own advice and stay together. But how are we supposed to do that when his life depends on us staying apart? Who knows? Maybe we can beat this thing. I guess we'll just have to see where this road takes us. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm betting that Lydecker's desire to find her has something to do with that virus and that he's going to be able to. Because, you know... And again, this is something that 
Gabby points out in her post on Facebook is that, you know, as a plot device, oh, this is cruel. You know, this this virus that yes. keeps them apart. I, 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 please, I, I can't believe they're going to carry this on for the entire season. I mean, I'll 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 be upset. I mean, even if they don't end up together, if that's what keeps them apart, I'm going to I'm going to be upset. Yeah. I, well, I don't. Yeah. Be, be, yeah. I think that even the non-shipper people who watch this are interested in seeing Logan and Max get together. I mean, you can't help but want that, right? Yeah. So that's this great irony that they can't be together, which is, is that cruel? Yes. I mean, look, though, how long did Cheers string out the Sam and Diane matchup? Um, how long did Castle go before finally Castle and Kate got together? You know, yeah, like, true. Uh, some of these shows really string that along for a long time before the, the payoff actually comes. And the show only had two seasons. So um, if we don't see, you know, if, if this virus thing continues throughout the entire, I, I don't think it will, because it's just kind of, if you kind of, it's, I don't want to call it silly per se, as in it's like a dumb idea, but it's just silly because it's so obvious. We just came up with this plot device to keep, logan and max from getting together right right? and we know people want it and we know we've been toying with it and we actually started going that way a little bit but now we don't want them to be together so we came up with this kind of deus ex machina from out in the left field and we're going to go with that and but people intrinsically realize that it's like kind of this lame plot device yeah now what does lydicker plan to do with the discs you know, I think that's really uh, an interesting plot point because, you know, we know he's so invested in this program. I don't think he feels as if it failed. You know, I, I think he probably sees it as that the people around the program failed the program. I sound like Oliver Queen now. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, well, we have guys out there who are trying to bring back all the disparate parts of the program in order to destroy them. I think Lydecker is going to try and bring them all back in order to reunite them and to get this thing started again. Okay. Uh, now, you know, you mentioned whether or not we'll see the kids again. I think we know we'll see Alec again, but in what context the X sevens, like we mentioned, you know, why are they still alive? Why have they stayed with the military? Can they not see that the military is taking out the Manticore kids one by one? Do they not have the intellectual wherewithal to figure that eventually that's going to be us? I, you know, I, I don't. I think the X sevens have the intellectual wherewithal to realize how completely useful they are. I think they've, you know, they're proving their worth, right? Okay, so you're saying that even after all of the X's are rounded up and killed they would still have use with the military. Yeah, if they, I think maybe their play is we're going to prove how incredibly useful we are, how loyal we are, how we're willing to do whatever we're told. Right, but then we go back to the, the fundamental issue that, that you know they're part of this black ops program that somebody apparently wants to eliminate and erase as if it never happened. So they would be evidence of that, but... You know, we'll see. Uh, what's White's story going to be? Is he going to work his way into the city to try to ta- track down all the Manticore kids? I'm thinking yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, uh, he's but, the new bad guy, right? So he's got to yeah. he's got to get aggressive here. Yep. Um, but uh, episode that started a little shaky for me and just really really picked it up. And again, it's you know we've said it many times. I mean, we wouldn't do this show if we didn't really like it. Yeah. Um, oh, absolutely. Um, this one, I thought like uh, I didn't. It, for me, it, it wasn't quite as good. It was still pretty good insofar as by the time it's done, I'm like, whoa, is that really it? So it, it just really kept the pace moving. But like, just as even as we're talking about now, there's so many things they're trying to do at once. I think part of it is like if you try to juggle too much at one time and everything kind of falls down. I think that was like kind of the bad part about this one. I think they just tried to do too much instead of going with a single storyline that they just had all these balls in the air. And I don't know if they really successfully were able to accomplish any kind of juggling with that. Well, well, and I think that's one of the issues that episode two of any season, you know, has to deal with. I mean, episode one, I mean, they had to pick up where season one left off, obviously. And it was, it was a pretty big change because now Max is back at Manticore being reindoctrinated. Um, you know, Logan, everybody thinks she's dead. And, you know, to now where we're back kind of facing the same thing that the 12 faced when they escaped, it's just, that it's on a much greater uh, level. You know, like you, you mentioned, we've got the new bad guy, Lydekers now, I don't know that we can say he's a good guy, but he's certainly not as bad as white for sure. And, you know, we've said all along that the, the, the team of Lydecker, Logan and Max is, you know, certainly going to be, I think central to this season. So, you know, I, I agree with you. They, they threw a lot of balls into the air, but I think they're all connected enough that, that I, I think they'll be able to bring them together. Oh yeah. I I ultimately think they can, but I just don't think, they were super successful in this particular episode. It was enjoyable. I really liked it. Was it as good as the first episode? No, no, okay. it, it wasn't. But but certainly, as we said, I mean, like what they probably part of the I guess problem with the first episode is at the end of it, there is so much that's up in the air. So many different groups they have to deal with with this mass breakout and everything. How do you? now dial that back for episode two. And I think they probably tried to dial it back and show, okay, we're dealing with one of these issues, um, but also kind of hinting at all the other things that are going on. I don't know. It's just tough to do. It's a tough job. I'm not saying it's it easy. It is. Well, you know, and I think with episode one, if we we're going to assign letter grades, I, I certainly it's in the A range, A, A minus. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, this one's certainly a solid B, maybe getting close to a B plus. Uh, yeah. yeah, maybe B minus. I'm a little tougher okay. grader than you are, okay. though. I yeah, I, th- I think you are. <laughs> anyway, all right. Anything else? No, nah, that's it. That's all right. Plenty. Um, all right. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you about Dark Angel, Firefly, or anything else you think we should be watching. And there's a lot of new shows coming up uh, in the next couple weeks. We'll maybe just throw those out there next time. We'd like to encourage you to join the Facebook group. And if you're already a member, spread the word. Emails to sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or voicemails via the speak pipe tab, which you can access through the website. And we'll be back next week with episode three of Firefly entitled Bushwhacked. But until then. Yeah. So I didn't know if I really wanted to tell the audience about this story, but you know, the other day 
I went to go visit Dave at work, and he's sitting there. He's got like a blanket around his neck. He's got like red sweatpants on, a pair of blue Wellingtons, and everything. And I just I looked at him and I said, you know, Dave, if you're going to be the hero, you can't be half-assed about it. 